Hey everybody, welcome to Generation Church Podcast, a podcast about everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family because of Jesus for generations to come. My name's John, I'm the engagement pastor here at Generations Church. I'm sitting here with Kyle. And the boys are back! I know. It's been what, three, four weeks now? Took a little break over the holidays and stuff. Someone was traveling. Gosh, I can't yes. believe they would do that. Yes, the engagement pastor is no longer engaged. I know. I didn't come back to like a new business card or job title change. No. I was a little disappointed. There was no creativity nope. in that sense. We weren't going to change it. No, nope. mm-hmm. you're stuck. That's all right. I thought For there would have been like a little fun little joke or something, a little banner to come through that was like... I don't know. Well, there was some jokes waiting for you. Yeah, I know there was. It's all right. <laughs> it still still haunts me to this day, but it's okay. Can't find that one. I know, right? We have fun. It's good. It's fun. <laughs> we get to laugh. My favorite part is just you was you waiting for us to find it, and then after you walk out, it's like, oh, huh, I found it, and so it just cracks me up, Kyle. So you'll have, if you're listening, you'll have to ask us in person about the joke. Yes. We won't share it on the podcast, but catch up with us in person and we would Fun conversation be piece. happy oh, yes. to share our little practical jokes that go on between one another. It happens. It's fun. Yes. I love it. But yeah, so Kyle, it's been a couple weeks since we've done this. Um, so let's just, I think we should just start here with our listeners. Uh, even for me, a little bit of kind of being away from generations for a little bit. Catch us up from where we were back kind of beginning of December, where we're at now. We're still kind of finishing up. We're actually near the end of Colossians chapter 1. We are. We are nearing the end of our journey. We're in verses 24 through 26 this week. So catch us up, Kyle. What um, kind of shifts have we seen in Paul's writing here? What have been some major topics and kind of transitional Mm -hmm. uh, phrase of what we've seen so far? So... Paul is finished, by this point, as we've reached Colossians 1, 24 through 26, is Paul is finished up writing this hymn that goes back to, to verses 15 through 20. And what you see there is you see the centrality of Christ. What Paul is doing is he's saying, this is who Jesus is. This is, the, this is how Jesus is and was. And really what he does is it's a hymn of sorts it's almost this canon, this, this piece of uh, just kind of this code that we can recite so that the Colossians understand what sound doctrine is revolving around Jesus. And what Paul does is out of that, he begins to transition. He says, okay, so if that's who Jesus is, he's the creator of everything, if the fullness of God dwells within him, if he is the head of the body of the church, if he is the one who's reconciled, us to God, well then what does that mean for Mm -hmm. our everyday life? And what Paul does is he clarifies how the Colossians were once alienated and hostile, both internally and externally, both in their internal thoughts and in their minds, how they rebelled against God, but also in their external actions, how they stand at enmity with God. There's alienated, there's separation there, but through Jesus and who he is and what he has done in the cross and in the resurrection, we, and specifically the Colossians, are reconciled to God. They are no longer alienated, but they're brought into the family. And Paul says that this is amazing, and this is a message worth proclaiming. And he begins to transition to, so what are the Colossians to do in response to this? Well, he 
takes that overarching principle and basically says, hey, I have become a servant of it. So Paul, typical Paul fashion, he uses his own <laughs> ministry. He uses his own life almost as an illustration of sorts to, mm. to bring the message home and says, okay, I was someone who was enemies with God. In fact, Paul goes from killing Christians to becoming one. So mm. how does his relationship with Jesus bridge that transformation? And basically Paul saying, you would have known that I went from killing Christians, but now I am a servant of this message that Jesus is God, the fullness of God, that Jesus is the awaited Messiah. And now that there's not just one chosen people being Israel, that's supposed to be a blessing to the nations. All the nations have access and God is pursuing because of Jesus and being invited into God's family. And that's why generations we talk about expanding the family of God is it comes out of passages like this where we see Paul's crystal clear. He wants to make the message of God fully known that God's family isn't just confined to Israel anymore. It's mm -hmm. being extended to all, and you don't have to become an Israelite or a Jew to be a part of God's family. It's mm -hmm. just purely through the faith and belief in Jesus. And so God's family can be expanded because of Jesus. That, cool. That's a big uh, kind of gap in what you're covering. And I, I have to laugh and kind of nod my head to you that you may or may not have kind of intentionally lined it up that kind of Christmas falls around this time of who is Jesus. Yes. Ha, ha, ha. Well played. Um, but then we begin to train. Paul has this unique transition where he goes, because we know who Jesus is, what does that, what do the implications of that knowledge mm -hmm. of who he is, how does that really kind of get flushed out and turn from a head knowledge of us, but to kind of becoming this wisdom in which we talked about, that knowledge applied of mm. allowing that to flow out of our lives in circumstances and whatever world in which we're living in of an outward expression of the gospel message, not this internal, oh, cool, I know who Jesus is and everything and I do my thing. No, it's a verbal, this is who Jesus is and this is why I'm going to share with you who he is, what he's doing in my life, how he's reshaped what, who I am and what I'm doing. Um, and that, that's, that's, exact, that's exactly right. It's, it's wisdom is the knowledge applied, and we see the wisdom in Jesus, and we see that expressed so beautifully and how Paul transitions to saying that he is a servant of it. And, mm. so he, and he's, not, he's not an unwilling servant. Yeah. And I think, that, I think that's what's so crystal clear mm. here is, is Paul's saying this despite his circumstances and his position in life. Because just, again, a little background in Colossians yeah. is Paul's in prison writing this. And also <laughs> for, this, for this church, he didn't start this church and he didn't, he didn't plant, he didn't, he didn't save these, these believers. It was in his investment in Epaphras, his mm. discipling of him. And his, and his witnessing of him, his converting of him, that Epaphras then goes and he shares this message with these people and forms mm. this church community. And so they're at a distance from Paul. And what Paul is saying, yes, here, here's how I have internalized that gospel message, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's breaking into the world, that he's bringing a kingdom of peace, of love, and justice. Mm. And here's how I am serving that message and that reality in the world, and you can see that in my life. Yeah, 
And so that, again, just Paul is illustrating what he is hoping the Colossians are grasping, yeah. that they don't have to fear mm. their circumstances in life, the authorities that are <laughs> over, over them in life. Yeah. They don't have to fear others. They don't have to have this anxiety about, well, this world's chaos and out of control. Yeah. He's saying, no, remember, Christ is above all creation. He's large. He's mm. in charge. And so we can just faithfully live in response to that and serve that message. So one of the terms and words that you mentioned, and it's also present here in verse 25, is this concept of servant. Mm. I'll make you flush that out a little bit because sometimes, I don't know, you kind of go across this and it goes, Paul's describing himself as a servant. And we talk about how God's love, his love language is obedience of following what he commands of us and us calling ourselves a servant, how does this mixture in when we begin to get this concept of freedom, mm. the freedom that's found, the chains that are mm. broken from this sin in which we've talked about, Kyle? We almost don't understand it completely because what I would say is sometimes because of our culture, that term servant evokes almost this image of an employee. Mm. That as and we let's just be honest. Sometimes when we're employees or workers, what happens is we can be disgruntled. We can not like the way our boss does something, and we can almost set set what we do maybe nine to five aside and say, "Well, that's not really who I am," and it's just a job I do. And there becomes a disconnect between identity. And what we do for work. And so when we hear this term servant and Paul using it so willingly and joyfully and that he's glad to be a servant and he mm-hmm. wants to be a servant, we're, <laughs> it, we're almost like, yeah, but if I could leave my job right now, I, I, I would. Like I, I would choose to do something else because I there's a level, there's a lack of joy present. And even for people who you're like, I love my job. I love I mean, being a pastor for me specifically, mm-hmm. like I love doing that. And but this idea of willing servanthood evokes almost this visceral reaction to go, I'm not sure I would choose that word and the reason why i think the word is so difficult is because it's an other centered word mm. we live in a in a self-focused world and culture and so we think in terms of well what do we want what what how yeah. how how is it going to affect us but the life of a servant is all about their master is a, all about someone else. It's about their agenda and their will and their way. So I, I think you could picture Alfred from Batman. I think it's just a, <laughs> such a great picture of, of a willing butler servant. Is And even I just watched the, the Dark Knight Rises again recently. Just such a good movie. A lot of biblical themes in there. But you see Alfred cares so much for Bruce and who he is and what he's doing and the life that he's living that Alfred is willing to do things to both support but also to say, no, this is what it needs to be about. And you see a servant, a willing servant in Alfred through the Batman series that says, okay, there's a love, there's an affection for his master, there's a care, he basically raises him. Mm. And so I think it's that's almost a beautiful picture of 
servanthood because there's a level of care for Bruce and ultimately Batman that, mm. that Alfred's willing to do some things, get himself out of his comfort zone, yeah. go the extra mile, bandage up you know Bruce's wounds and care for him and and participate in the the escapades and the endeavors. Mm. And we go, man, that's just such a great picture. And so when to flip that around, if we're able to have that posture and that relationship with Jesus to say, man, Jesus, like I care for what you're trying to do in the world. Like I care that that you're at work in the world and that you're trying to right wrongs and bring about justice. Yeah. And you're trying to cultivate a city in which people enjoy and have this freedom and, and basically evoke this relationship present. I just think that that would be a much better picture for us when we hear Paul use this word servant to go rather from an employee language to say, can we have this internal disposition more like an Alfred, that there's this willingness, that there's this joy, and there's also this bigger picture and vision that we're invited to be a part of Mm -hmm. rather than the disconnect that comes from, yeah, I work from a company, and that you may believe in their vision and their mission, but you've not adopted that as your own personal mission and vision. And so yeah. we see a, a collaboration and a connection there through relationship and purpose hmm. that is enables Paul to endure all kinds of circumstances for that relationship with hmm. Jesus and the purpose of the advancement of Jesus' kingdom. Hmm. So in your understanding of servant and how Paul's using it here. It's not this whole, um, we're forced to be a part of this. We're, um, being, you know, doing the bidding of a master, but it's a willing desire to say, I believe in who Jesus is. I believe in who he is, the vision and value, the message in which he brings, what he is trying to do. And I want to be a part of that. I want to take part in the love and the care and the grace that he wants to share in do in this world. And he invites us into that. Mm -hmm. And this is where Paul is getting this concept of servant as I want to be a part of this. I want to do the work. I want to be a part of God's love language that I want to have this faith that lives out in the world. Yeah. And it ultimately makes, makes a difference. And you see Alfred, to go back to that example, forsake some of his own life, Mm. some of the natural desires to have a wife, to have kids, for the sake of of the mission to raise Bruce and then ultimately help him fulfill his destiny uh, as as Batman. Yeah. And so what happens is is we say no to certain things in our life that might hinder us mm. from from participating in the w- way in which God wants to work it and the way we see Jesus live out his love and his justice. Yeah. in the world. So personally, what we can do is in the servanthood, it means we're saying no to other masters and yeah. we're saying yes to, to Jesus as Lord mm. and master. And that's ultimately what, yeah. what, when we say Jesus savior and Lord is we recognize what he has done for us in the cross and resurrection. Mm. And that word term of Lord is that master term. Yeah. And it's a willing submission rather than a obligatory com- commission. So, so again, thinking about maybe someone who is uh, drafted into the military, there's a level of 
maybe you don't want to go serve in the army, but you've been drafted and commissioned. So there's an an obligation and duty that's required there versus someone who jumps up and says, no, I'm going to go enlist. Yeah. And so, so it's a willing enlistment in the mission of Jesus. Mm. There's a servanthood, there's an obedience, there's a faithfulness and a belief in a cause. Yeah. That again, we're willing to opt out of other choices for the sake of the choice of following Jesus. Yeah, it's placing Jesus as the priority and saying, I want to follow and be a part of this. And an aspect of putting him as a priority in our life means that other things are going to be knocked down a peg because we get back to this concept of this Jesus plus lifestyle in which the Colossians were tempted with, and a lot of us are even tempted with today, of saying, well, Jesus might be important, but so are all these other things. Don't just serve him, serve all these things alongside Mm. him, have this plateau of a bunch of things to try and achieve the good life, the perfect um, way to live. There's all these things, and really what we see here is Paul saying, no, like I am a servant only to Jesus first. Mm -hmm. That is where my servanthood goes to. And what we see out of that is him express that and not necessarily get the best reaction from some people. I mean, you've already hinted at it and kind of told us, He's in jail for a reason because there is this opposition. There's this cultural um, response to this that doesn't go very well to Paul saying, no, Jesus is the priority. This is who he is, and this is why I live the way that I do. And people didn't necessarily, um, you know, receive that very well. And so what do we see of Paul where we're at right now? What is this suffering in which he's talking about? So very clearly, again, he, he's, in, he's in prison. He's, he's being jailed for proclaiming Jesus as king, which is an assault to his culture and to his context. Because to say anybody other than Caesar is king or Caesar is lord or Caesar is in charge would have been, again, justifiable to put in prison. So we see Paul breaking a man-made law mm. in obedience to who Jesus is and what he's what he's doing. And so this the suffering is there's a experiential loss of freedom in that he is confined and limited mm. being being in jail. And that has he's listed in other passages of scripture where he is flogged, where he's beaten He's on because he's on a mission and he's traveling. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned or you know attempted to, to have been stoned. He's been kicked out of cities. Mm-hmm. Basically, he's been removed physically removed from context for simply saying and living the reality that Jesus is the head of all creation mm-hmm. and that this fullness of God dwelled bodily in Jesus, therefore making him both Lord and Messiah. And this Messiah died on the cross and was resurrected and is coming back to judge the living Mm -hmm. and the dead. And we're all going to give an account for that. And so Paul is sharing that very widely. Mm. And the result, again, just a loss of freedom. And we see that in other parts of our world, mm-hmm. it may be a little bit foreign to us here in our own country 
we can see it in some if you make a post on social media and there's an awkwardness or there's some troll on there <laughs> or you know saying like how can you believe that i mean i was sitting in starbucks the other day and i was i was just listening to a conversation about this guy talk telling this lady about what he believes about jesus and how he believes religion is this manipulation and he's just going on and on and on and it's like in this conversation you hear this lady very meekly go I'm trying to follow Jesus to the best of my ability, so I have a level of disagreement. And you see this guy basically go back in his chair and stuff like, well, I don't understand how you could be there. That seems like a foolish way to think and live. Mm -hmm. So so for us, sometimes when you put your faith out there, there is a relational distance. Mm -hmm. There's not necessarily a a legal distance that's created as opposed to like I, I shared about the pastor in China that's jailed for nine years. Yeah. So, so legally he's outside of the, the bonds of the Chinese government. Um, he's not allowed to be an unsanctioned pastor. Mm. So he's put in jail <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord. He's King that God is sovereign. And that my goal is to, teach and preach about Jesus and testify mm. to the coming reality of all creation is going to be made new. And Jesus is the one who's going to do that. And I'm not going to change despite me being put in jail. So we see both a an ancient example in the terms of Paul mm. being willing to be jailed for the expression of his faith. Yeah. And it's not just the expression of the faith, it's the implications that that faith brings to bear on the culture. Mm. The same thing is true for this pastor in China. It's not just simply that he shares this, but it's the implications of Mm. and the results of the gospel, how that comes to bear on a society and and Mm. a culture that actually brings the assault and creates that distance. It's this implication that when we begin to share this, that we're making Christ known and other people are beginning to grow and believe and grow in their own faith, and in turn, hopefully sharing with others and doing that exact same thing. Which changes a society. And when you have a society and a culture that's built on some cultural norms or some assumptions, and when you begin to present the gospel of Jesus, Mm -hmm. that it's Jesus who is king, and that he deserves our loyalty and obedience and essentially our faith in our lives, and we just surrender to that, it undermines... Cultural norms. Some cultural norms, it actually affirms and can strengthen, and it can be a very beautiful synergy. But there are some Mm. that it's it's an affront to. It's an assault. And so there's this dividing line that takes place (laughs) where some in some cultures it it can be a very beautiful uh, just synergy, and you can see, oh man, that that's the goodness. There's justice and love there. And other times it says, no, this is just evil and wrong, Mm. and and it actually is counter to the way in which Jesus would have us yeah. live. Let me get back to the suffering in a second, but I think there's an interesting point to be made there in that Paul gets to this point in verse 26 where he says, the mystery that is hidden for ages and generations is now revealed. Mm. That this message of Jesus is now revealed to his culture and where he's at. It's not uh, this concept of like what is to come. It's just a, for him, it was a matter of when and how it was going to happen that their culture in which he was around and even people back then, there was always this rumor and this concept of a Messiah to come, Mm -hmm. the one in which God would send to lead his people of Israel. 
And so it's, it's interesting to see the backlash in which he gets when he begins to say, no, this was, this is the Messiah. And the backlash in which he gets for presenting that in a culture, in some of the people in that culture who have been looking for a Messiah for years. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that some of the backlash where that comes is because the, the Jews wanted to say, yeah, of course he's going to come. And then what Paul says is, yeah, the people that you have put on the margins of society, the pagans, the people that you've wanted nothing to do with, yeah, they're included into God's family in Jesus. Mm. And so what you see is what once divided is now able to be unified in and around Jesus. And so what this does is this gospel message to translate that into today is what Jesus does is he says, there are people that you have written off, that you have distanced yourself from. And what the the implication of Jesus is Lord of creation and has died for, for everyone for the sake of that when they come to faith that they will be able to be united with him and be a part of God's family it means that even people that you have written off as there's no way God could or even should love them, he does and they have an ability to be part of his family when they have placed their faith in Jesus, mm. which means, again, th there are people that you've written off and you've said there's no way they're wicked, they're evil, however you want to categorize them, that even them can be reunited with Jesus. And the assault is it's not always in the way that you think mm. it should happen. It's purely through faith and trust in Jesus. Yeah. And as you take the wisdom and the relationship with Jesus and begin to apply it, mm. that's going to change some things. So, it, so even for us as believers, we have to continually be reapplying yeah. the gospel to our own lives so that we never write anybody off as too far gone. Because yes, even the people that you go like, man, that I just, I can't, I can't even believe them. The people we grumble, that we complain about, yeah, they are welcome and wanted in God's family, according to Jesus. They're invited. They're reached out to, they're loved, and they're shown grace. And it's so fascinating that we see that because, I mean, I mean, you go all the way back to the Old Testament, and there's many times in which a Messiah is mentioned of. And I think one of the biggest moments is when you see uh, King David, and there's this message, uh, this covenant that's given to David that says, David, from you, the king of Israel is going to come, mm -hmm. like your son. And so everyone saying, oh, his son looks to his next son, Solomon, who becomes king, and they see, oh, this guy gains all the wisdom that is supposed to be. And they look and they say, baby, this is the Messiah to come. And they get their hopes and expectations up. And then they see the downfall of Solomon. He builds a large army. He acquires a large amount of wealth, many wives, does uh, some of this stuff with foreign nations, and he breaks all the laws. And it's like, man, there's this descent there. And then you see Israel go up and down, up and down with kings and after king after king. Nation gets destroyed. They get exiled, come back. Other nation gets exiled, and they come back. And they're sitting there wondering for years, thousands of years, wondering, when is the Messiah going mm -hmm. to come? It was never what. They knew of a Messiah to come. And then they get Jesus, and it's not the Messiah in which they pictured. And I think it's hilarious when you go back and you look at the first two kings of Israel. You see Saul versus David. 
got man's choice of a guy we're like oh let's get the biggest strongest guy up there who looks like a great leader and he falls short and then you get god's king who's a little shepherd i mean we don't really know what he looked like shepherds probably were actually pretty decent they did some pretty cool stuff yeah he probably had to fight off bears and stuff which is kind of cool but we have this (laughs) connotation of shepherds or like this little weakling with the staff and everything but it's not what the culture expected And we get Jesus, and we see this multiple times throughout the gospel, in which Jesus rubbed against the culture because they thought things should be one way. And Jesus is like, no, it's this love and acceptance, even towards these people. And it goes back to one of our core values here, generations, of this concept of story over sin, this progress over perfection. No one is too far gone for Jesus to rewrite that story. Mm. I mean, you're almost limiting his resurrection power, his redemption, when you begin to say, no, they might be too far gone. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the cool thing is, is you, as you've just walked us through the, the Old Testament there and foreshadowing to Jesus, is that's, that's the whole point, is God is at work, has been at work throughout history. He is, he is moving his, this story to a climax to, to an end, and we are invited to be a part of it, to work a part of it, and we are actually <clears throat> enemies with God when we, when we don't embrace the reality that it is He who is in charge, that it's His standard that's in play, not our own standard. Mm. And that's where you see Paul, who is willing to suffer to be resilient, to be courageous, to continue to put himself out there because he knows ultimately that his suffering isn't for himself. Mm. It's not to achieve something for himself. It's to achieve really something for others because Mm. if he doesn't suffer, if he doesn't keep working to spread about this good news that this Messiah can rescue and redeem you, can provide an lasting identity and a forever purpose when Paul continues to as he continues to do that you see more and more people obviously mm. buy in jump in on that but it's it's not for his own sake it's for the sake of others yeah and i think sometimes we think of suffering and discipline and hardship we we flip it around and we say, well, I'm going through this, and it's 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 self focused. Yeah, it's it's very well. I just I gotta. I'm God's working on me to make me more holy. And, and while that may be true, it becomes a very introspective mm. and a very uh, almost aesthetic like to where we so focus on our own holiness and our own righteousness and. And we become inward focused that we forget Mm. that actually we continue to put ourselves out there. We continue to take a step of faith. We continue to venture into a level of awkwardness. (laughs) And boy, we hate awkwardness in in today's culture. We are willing to put ourselves in a level of awkwardness Mm. for the sake of the other person knowing Jesus. And again, we have to have a level of maturity and a level of fortitude that comes from our relationship with Jesus. So that even in the awkwardness, we go, well, so what? They thought I was a little awkward. That, that was a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But their perception of me does not change 
how God thinks of me. It doesn't change my own relationship with Jesus. My relationship with Jesus enables me a fortitude to live for others that may result in suffering by relational distance, in Paul's case and in this pastor in China's place, being placed in prison. And so we really have to have this resilience and this Jesus-centeredness because as you, as you said a little bit ago, when we have this Jesus plus lifestyle, whatever that plus, the reason that's so detrimental to our life is it will always give us almost an opt out. It'll say, well, we have this other thing to live for, which says then suffering, awkwardness is not worth it. It's not worth it. And we should pursue, pursue a level of comfort, control, approval. Yeah power everything that is manageable that's within our own grasp Mm -hmm. and so it gives us an out but when we live a jesus centered or a jesus only have that purpose or passion or direction Mm -hmm. there's no other out there there's no other uh, there's no other off-ramp and it's saying no we're saying over and over and over again and we have to that jesus is worth it Mm -hmm. that it's his mission that's worth it so I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to go forward because God's mission and his purpose, that mystery has been made known that all people are welcome into God's family. Yeah. Despite what, what we may think or what our culture may tell us of people who are unworthy to be welcomed into to God's family. Uh, I love it. You talking about that awkwardness of going to other people with that message. I mean, it's, I think there's this tendency, and I mean, I even do it with myself, of there's this controllability we get when we focus on our individual walk, mm. when we focus on our relationship with Jesus, our own sufferings. There's that level of controllability, even in an uncontrollable world, that we can control how, like, I can sit back and evaluate how am I reacting to this? What am I personally doing? But when we begin to go out and share the message with others, we go and do the kingdom work in which we're called. And the kingdom in which we talk about is basically everybody that is invited into, anyone who accepts the message. Our goal and our passion and what Paul's driving us to is to go to people, share this message so that they can grow and become a part of this kingdom. When we do that, we go to people and we don't know how they're going to react. We go into this uncontrollable of, I can't control how they're going to take this message. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's awkward and not always fun and can often lead some people to shy away because it's an awkward embrace of, here's this. I don't know how you're going to take it, react, what you're going to do with it. You might not embrace it in the same way in which I have. Well, and that's why it's so important to remember that I loved how you walked us through the Old Testament because it's remember, it's God's plan. Mm-hmm. He is working through history. So, so when we venture into that awkwardness, it's not all up to us. Yeah. And even we don't have to do it in isolation. Remember, Paul is <laughs> writing to a church, a group of people. Mm-hmm. He's not asking, indiv- he's not, he didn't say in this, individuals you are solely responsible <laughs> to to reach every single person in your life by yourself have all the answers mm-hmm. and to make Jesus known by again by yourself as an individual 
And if you and if you don't like you failed, it's he reminds them. Remember, it's God's administration. It's God's commission. It's for Mm. the sake of others. It's God's message. It's been a mystery that's now revealed to His saints collectively. This is a collective mission. We are to collaborate. We are to to work together as a church. That's Mm. why. That's why we talk about is when when you're trying to basically live your life open and introduce Jesus to others. Do it with other people. Yeah. It, do it. Don't do it in isolation. Do it together. Yeah. Do it with people. Do it um, in such a way that you you don't have to feel like you have all the answers. Yeah. You don't feel like you have to have it perfect. Again, one of our values: progress over perfection. You can honestly say, "I am not perfect. I don't have all the answers, but I'm learning to follow Jesus each and every day." Do you want to come along? for this journey with me. In fact, I've got others who are journeying with me. That's why community groups around generations are so pivotal. That's why our ministry teams are so vital because we're saying this is not an individual isolated exercise. It's one that's steeped in community. It's steeped in a God-ordained commission. It's steeped in ability to say that it's really, it's spirit over self. It's how God is at work not what myself can muster up and do uh-huh. by my own strength and my yeah. own power. There's a cool moment this weekend. Uh, it was neat because we had uh, our baptism Sunday. And those are always cool because, I mean, some people who get baptized, some of their family come. And so we have no idea who some of those people are. Sometimes there's a decent group that comes with them. But this weekend was unique because there was a couple pockets of new people that came through. And I remember I was talking to one of our greeters and they're like, it's awesome to see how many new people are in here and everything. And she was like, it's also a little overwhelming at times. She goes, because like, I, I can't get to meet each and every one of them. And I was like, I think that's one of the cool things about the fact that we have multiple greeters up here at the front door, greeters in the room, people in our church who just have this natural and uh, desire to go and introduce themselves and meet them. Because... Yes, one of our greeters, they might get to know three of the new people that come through. I might get to only interact with two of them. Kyle, you might get to see one or two. We have some other people that get to see them. But it's not just one of us having to go see all the new people. Yeah, It's a collective group that is all on the same mission of, hey, we want to welcome you and share this love in which we're having. You are a part of this family. And it's not just me saying that. It's not just you. It's not just our one greeter at the door. It's a collective group of our church, of our body, of the kingdom workers in which we have at Generations. It's adopting the posture of as you engage with Jesus and you adopt his character and priorities, you're willing to extend that to others. And what's so cool is as you share and say that, I had a great conversation with one of the people this past week that we baptized. And what was so cool about what as she shared about her experience with generations, as she says, one, I was able to engage in a in a in a in a way where people were friendly. It felt like home. There was something different there, and that's not a testament to our ability. That's a no. testament to the work of God and trusting that as we gather, some He will supernaturally show up in that way. But then she she adopted that for herself. She began to articulate, oh. 
as I get, gain, gain more consistency in my attendance of generations, I need to be making sure that I'm introducing myself <laughs> to people and meeting them. And I'm willing to put myself out there. And it's the transition is taking place from someone who's going from receiving to embodying to then be extending mm-hmm. that to others and not, and, and encouraging others. Hey, yeah. w- we should be people that, that are not just greeting because they're coming to Sunday morning. It's what you're supposed to do. But it's because we want others to be a part of God's family and yeah. what they are doing here. And so I, I say that and I sum that up to say what we see in Paul is an ability to say yes to Jesus that may result in suffering, but it's a joyful servanthood and a servitude because of Jesus. And he is worth it. His mission is worth it. And we at Generations are inviting people into that mission and into that work because Jesus is worth it. Hey, thanks for listening to the Generations Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. If you have questions, send us a message online at our website or on our social media. You can search us at Gen Church Wa or visit our website, mygenerations.church.